You ever see something on TV or in the news and just really gets under your skin? Like something that really upsets you and you can't just sit there and do nothing about it now that you know that it's going on. So you get up to do something. But what do you do? You could make a call to complain to someone. You could write a letter to complain or even go there in person to complain. And maybe a lot of other people are mad too. So there might be a protest outside and everyone's shouting. This is a story about a guy who got really worked up over something he read about and decided to take matters into his own hands. These are true stories from the dark side of the internet. I'm Jack Resider. This is Darknet Diaries. The story is about a young man named Cameron, or Cam for short. Um, my name's Cam, and I live in Gloucester, in the United Kingdom. But Cam grew up in the picturesque area of Cornwall in England. It's in the bottom left corner of England, sort of like the toe of the country. I'm sure you've seen pictures of Cornwall. It's a quiet area, lots of farms all about. There's some beautiful cliffs there and fishing boats that come in and out of the port. It's an extraordinarily beautiful part of England. Oh, and I just learned there's a massive GCHQ satellite dish installation in Cornwall. It's there to collect signals intelligence and to do mass eavesdropping. It's called GCHQ Bude, if you want to look it up, but that's totally unrelated to the story. Now, when Cam was 14, he got a PS3, a PlayStation, and he loved playing video games on it. Things like Modern Warfare, Call of Duty, or COD for short, and lots of other online first-person shooters. And then it ended up to the point where I was like trying to be competitive, and obviously when you're 14, you're usually not as good as all the adults that play. Um, and I'd make, like, get frustrated with being beaten. Um, so I'd try and find like cheats and then glitches, I had to get better. Um, and then I'd see people like cheating and glitching against me, and then I'd be frustrated with that. So then I'd take it to the next level again to try and compete with them. He made a few people upset as he played Modern Warfare, either from winning or talking trash or using cheats. And some people got mad at him for this and said, hey, stop, or I'll knock you offline. And Cam's like, yeah, whatever, and just kept playing. But lo and behold, he did get kicked off the game. But not only that, the internet was down for his whole house. Huh. 14-year-old Cam was intrigued by this. I was kind of like perplexed as to how someone had booted me offline or disconnected me from the internet, like from, from their side. When you've already been downloading cheats to play your favorite game, it's not far of a stretch to take it to the next level and learn how to boot someone right off the internet entirely. And Cam had researched some options and was ready for revenge. And then to the point where I try and get them back. So it started with like, you know, like Loic. Ah, yes, good old Loic. Loic stands for Low Orbit Ion Cannon. It's an application you put on your computer, and it has the capability to send millions of packets to whatever IP address you want to send it to, which can flood that user's internet connection so bad that they can't get to anything online. Kind of like causing a massive traffic jam right in someone's driveway so they can't like pull out or go anywhere. This is called a denial of service attack, or DOS, because you're jamming up someone's internet so bad they don't get service. Cam loaded up Loic and was ready to fire at an IP to knock it offline. 
But there's one big problem. How do you find the IP of a certain player in the game? This is quite a challenge, because without the IP, Loic just won't do anything. The game itself does not show you the IP address of your opponents, specifically for this reason, to keep them safe from DOS attacks and from people wanting to know more about you. So Cam devised a plan. His plan was to send his victim a link to a website that he had control over. So from there, he could then capture his victim's IP address, which he could then put into Loic and fire away. But still, how do you get your in-game opponent to click your link? Um, is, is basically like a bitly link. Then you send it along with a caption like, I've caught you doing this or whatever, or something to make them click on the link. Ah, pretty clever. By telling his opponent that he caught him doing something and to click this link to see what it was, that was enough to get them to click it. And once they did, he'd see their IP address, visited his website, and he'd copy and paste that IP into Loic, and boom. Well, you, you, you put it in Loic, and then if you hit their IP address, you just put it in and just hit, like, Loic. And then you type in, like, port 53, or... Because, obviously, if you hit DNS, it's probably the best, best way to go about it. You can knock them offline, or, or do it less so, so you can make them lag. With these online shooter games, when two opponents see each other, it's kind of like a game of who can draw their weapon fastest and have better aim. And since Cam could slow down the opponent's internet connection, they might not see Cam for just a half a second after Cam saw them, which is called lagging in an online game. And this would be enough just for Cam to outdraw them and kill them. Well, yeah, because it, it makes them like stand still on my screen. They, they disconnect from the server, the video game server. And then I could, like, kill them. They think they're shooting me, and then they come back and they, like, not like us anymore, and then they're dead. He says that a few times he would talk trash in the game. People would message him. He'd keep talking trash, and then they'd take it to a one-versus-one match, and that's when he'd hit them with the cannon and make them lag or disconnect, which might not sound like a big deal, but let me tell you, if you're in the middle of a heated argument with some 14-year-old kid online, and you decide to battle him one-on-one -on -one just to show him how bad he is, and you lag exactly five seconds into the game starting, only to come back and see that you're dead on the screen, it would make you furious. You'd say, go again, and the game would start again, and just at the worst possible time, you would lag again and die, and you'd say, go again, and again you would lag and die and just get increasingly upset and to the point you might just punch your own keyboard and scream. Ah! And all that would just be really funny to Cam. I mean, overall, on the video game side of things, you've not beaten them because like, that's like, kind of like you're admitting that they're better than you. Um, but on the grand scale of everything that went on, you've kind of trumped them. But that's kind of where I got like the satisfaction from. So it's like, you may be better than me at the video game, but I've just completely trumped you. So therefore, I win sort of thing. This was cool, but it still required people to click that link to get their IP, and not everyone would click it. So he thought up ways to improve this. He figured out when players compete against each other on some PS3 games, they directly connected to each other's PS3s and didn't go through like some central server or something. And this is known as peer-to-peer -peer connections. It, yeah, a lot of them were P2, like P2P on PS3 and like the, the, the old generation consoles. 
So knowing this, he realized that all his opponent's IP addresses were actually routing through the network in his house, which meant if he could look at what IPs were connecting to his PS3, he might be able to figure out whose IP was whose. So he unplugs his PS3, plugs it into a computer to be in line of the PS3, which could then sniff all the traffic that was going through it, and then he'd watch all the IP addresses connecting to his PS3 in the game. And in these games he would play, some people would be able to do voice chat and talk with each other. So he would do clever things like mute everyone except the one person he wanted to know their IP. If you mute everyone else but one person, there's a significantly more amount of traffic coming from one person that you're targeting this IP address because of that mic's on. Clever kid, huh? Because with this, he could start matching in-game names to the IP addresses, since that person talking simply had more traffic coming over it than any other IPs. Um, and then you can just pick them offline that way. Do the same thing with Levitt. Now when you're a 14-year-old kid doing this kind of stuff, your friends think it's funny. And when you're just learning from things like YouTube tutorials and stuff, there's not always a warning telling you not to do it. It just seems normal. But it, it was just totally okay to be doing everything I was doing. There was no... That in my mind, that it was illegal or anything like that this time. Well, have we gotten into anything illegal yet? Well, beating people offline is illegal. Uh, okay. What, what, uh, how so? Well, because you're disconnecting them. You're, if, you're de if you're DOSing them, DOS is illegal under the Misuse Computers Act. Cam spent a lot of time playing PlayStation. And there was this one kid, though. He was a few years older than Cam. They actually went to the same school in Cornwall. And for some reason, he didn't like Cam. He would give Cam a lot of trouble in the game. Getting angry with Cam about being jealous that a mutual friend was playing with Cam, but not him. Cam didn't like this attitude he was getting from this kid. So I've been offline. His mum called my friend's mum, who then called my mum. And that's when I realized, oh God, this is like more serious than I realized. I kind of, I kind of just thought like, it's a bit pathetic. I mean, I, I, I didn't realize it was serious. I didn't think of anything other than the kid not being able to play Xbox for three minutes or whatever. Um, but obviously there's like wider factors considered, like they're paying for that and all that sort of thing. So I had a whole speech from my mom about why I shouldn't do it. But I've, my, mom, my mother didn't really... I understand it. So she kind of just said, like, don't do it. Um, whatever it is you're doing sort of thing. Because my mum doesn't really deal with like, computers or anything similar. Okay. So so did you take warning here or did you keep doing it? Yeah, no, I didn't take warning from it. Just because my mum was kind of like, she kind of took it as though I was just beating him on the video game. So Cam kept at it, refining his methods and strategies to boot people offline in a more effective way. But think about where someone like him might hang out online at this point. Hacker forums, chat rooms, gaming forums, or other places that might talk about hacking. I mean, the kid is inquisitive, and he wants to know more about how all this stuff works. He's thirsty to learn more, and he starts meeting other hackers online and makes some friends with them. And in one of these chat rooms, a hacker friend gave Cam a stressor. I was given like a free stressor um, by someone that I knew um, that did take part in the Operation Fun Kill. They gave it to me and they were just like, yeah, like have fun with it. Because I basically said that I, I could never afford it. 
Okay, so what's a stressor? Uh, up until this point, Cam has been doing all these DOS attacks using Loic, right? Well, like he was saying, this is illegal, so not everyone wants to run a denial-of-service attack from their own house. And yeah, sure, he could run it through a VPN or something, but hey, Cam doesn't want to bog down his own network, right? I mean, if he were to attack some other people, he might lag himself, which is not what he wants to do. So sending a huge amount of packets to someone else online just to make them lag isn't exactly the best idea. So this is where a stressor solves that problem. A stressor is simply DDoS as a service. So someone sets up a botnet or a bunch of servers capable of sending gigs and gigs of data to an IP address. It generates even more traffic than the low orbit ion cannon that Cam was using. And you pay someone to use this service. You just go there, put in an IP address, hit go, and whoever's IP that belongs to is now facing tons and tons of incoming traffic, which will probably knock them offline. People call these things stressors to try to market it as some stress testing tool to test if your site can handle a denial of service attack. But really, these things are just weapons and they're used to attack victims. So this guy lets Cam use his stressor for free. He basically started sharing stuff on Twitter. And as I mentioned, he was involved in Operation Fun Kill, which is part of like anonymous operation. And it has to do with SeaWorld and like these zoos. Greetings, citizens of the world. We are anonymous. Greedy corporations are destroying nature and the corruption of governments allow it. 99% of this is happening for one reason only. Money. There is no excuse for animal abuse, and now the animals will fight back. This power will stand for animal rights, and as long these rights are disrespected, we will be here, ripping through your servers, hacking, leaking, deleting and defacing as we go, spreading our message without mercy or restraint. We are anonymous. We are legion. We do not forgive. We do not forget. Abusers expect us. And it was just like the, like the whale was being slaughtered in the ocean um, and the whale was dying at sea world and the blood in the water. And I remember just, I remember, remember this, this is honestly the truth. I remember, felt, I felt so sick. I just felt that's awful. Um, but I, it wasn't immediate thought, yeah, I'm going to DDoS them. Um, but it's more of like a, I, I wonder what I can do. Um, trying to sign petitions because another thing I got from my mum is kind of like a animal rights sort of thing and they're not able to defend themselves so it was quite a big impact on me and then he says you can join in by DDoSing them offline using the dresser DDoSing uh, SeaWorld in California? Uh, yeah SeaWorld and just sends me this entire attack list that they're all going for and he's just like, yeah, just see what you can do. Like, just basically start pressing buttons. Now keep in mind, this was happening in 2014, and this was just after the documentary Blackfish came out. This was a film which exposed the cruel practices that SeaWorld and other wild animal parks were doing. I've been expecting somebody to be killed by a telecom. We weren't told much about it, other than it was trainer error. It didn't just happen. It's not a singular event. You have to go back to understand this. And it had a huge impact on many people. As it turns out, it also affected Cam. And so here he was, upset that this was going on. And in his hands was essentially a cannon. 
which he could use to attack SeaWorld or other places conducting this bad behavior. We stored these whales in what we call a module, which was 20 feet across and 30 feet deep, and the lights were all turned out. Probably led to what I think is a psychosis. in captivity are all psychologically traumatized. It's not just telecom. It all built up for him. He decided to take action and start pushing buttons. He would access the stressor, put in an IP of one of the animal parks, and start hitting it hard with a denial-of-service attack. He was knocking websites offline with a few simple clicks of a button, which had a real-life impact on these parks. But once I started getting good at it, yeah, it was definitely like... I was being egged on by the by them too. It was like the one man Edos Tank and all that like sort of nicknames. Um, so they just send me what they wanted to hit offline. I do it, um, and it'll be offline. So it's because I I had one stressor, and then I'd like barter with someone, and then eventually coerce them to give me their stressor as well. So I'd eventually just go around from one stressor the next stressor and then because I have this power of two stressors get the third stressor and then just move forward like that until I had like 10 accounts <laughs> on different stressors. Keep in mind these stressors cost like a monthly fee or something to use them and Cam didn't have the money he's 14 years old and that's why he traded with these people to get access to more of them for free so he would be able to keep the heat up by hammering on these places that were mistreating their animals and this would result in websites going down. Oh, it's definitely great. It's great. It's like, you feel like the omnipotent god or something. It's like, yeah, I've done that. That's a result of my actions. <laughs> and after he would knock a target offline, he'd watch to see what they do after. They, they, they didn't directly do anything, such as like change their ways or try to improve their animals' health or anything to try and get people to stop it. It was more like a, yeah, we'll, we'll get like Akamai. Um, CDN involved, and that that will stop this um, and stuff like that. Akamai CDN is a company that is a content distribution network. By signing up for a CDN, it makes your website significantly more resilient, and it's kind of shielded and has bigger bandwidth, so it's harder to take down. But this didn't slow down Cam. With ten stressors at his ready, he could still make a pretty significant impact on some of these sites. And again, what he was really upset with were how these places were mistreating their animals. He didn't believe animals should be mistreated this way. And this was the main reason he was doing all this hacking. Yeah, so yeah, like I say, it started out being like that. And it still it still was towards the end. But it was also like a good thing for me. Because like I say, it, like, it gives you like a buzz. And uh, you end up being egged on. And then you get like support. And you gain a following. And I gained a following of about 27,000 on Twitter, I believe. Um, on my Twitter accounts, and then the, yeah. your 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 own Twitter account got twenty seven thousand followers. Yeah, they got twenty seven thousand followers um, when I was fourteen. And what was the? How did you get so many followers there? Like I say, it was just like these like vegan vegetarian communities that, and like also anonymous people who just followed me and supported what I was doing. And you were so you were publicly saying on your Twitter account, like, "Look, I'm taking down this website," and then you were tweeting a lot about it. Is that what was going on? Yeah, that was my main weakness. So I was just I was just straight up on my Twitter page, just saying I was doing it, and I'd like post like all that hashtag Tango Down stuff. 
were you nervous when you were hitting uh, the attack key? No, I wasn't. No, I was never nervous about it at all. Was there a hesitation at all? No, not, not even once. Okay. Now you've taken it down and you're on Twitter. Is there any sort of hesitation or nervousness about publicly tweeting it? <laughs> nope. Not at all. It was so, what was the, I mean, was it like a sense of pride then or something? Yeah, it was, yeah, it's definitely more a pride thing, especially with like, yeah, like SeaWorld and the other targets I was talking about. It's definitely more of a pride thing. It was a nervous thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to balance <laughs> this with the real world again, right? So, so after doing, I don't know if this is a night of like attacks or something, now you have to go back to school at 14. <laughs> What is class like for a person who's like 37,000 followers on Twitter hacking SeaWorld at night and then in the morning going to maths class? Um, yeah, that's actually quite funny to be fair. So I remember sitting in like classes and we'd be like, this is how bad it got. I'd be sat in class, I'd be with my friends. I'd be like, teacher would say, all right, we're using this site today as a quiz website, for example. They'd be like, yeah, everyone go to this website, we'll do a quiz. I'd sit back with my friends and then I'd be like, guys, watch this. And I'd like go on my phone and then I'd like remote into my to my server and then I'd like launch an attack against this website for no for no reason at all. So then I'd like, go down, the teacher would stand there all awkwardly and be like, Oh, it's like the website's gone down, so we can't do that today. Um and I'd immediately stop it and then it would come back up and then yeah, it'd be like quite funny in that sense. Oh man. Yeah, I see. Yeah. This is this can't have a good ending. Um so let's back up a second. You said the word activist. Did you feel like an activist when you were doing things for animal for the animal rights? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, cuz I I remember seeing like the photos that I saw. Like honestly, um I shouldn't have seen the photos that I saw on what they were doing at 14. It was it was gruesome. Um honestly, that was that was what it was and it's, it, even at that time, it still was. But like I say about being a power hungry, there was still most of the attacks I was doing was based on activism and trying to do everything I could to help. To be honest, and obviously, a fourteen-year-old going to like California to like stand there and protest with my sign, like nobody's going to listen to me standing there shouting about how bad they're treating animals. Um, so I, I guess they'd like listen to me more if I was doing something to like affect them. Cam kept getting new IPs as targets to attack with his stressors, and he kept taking down sites. He flat out attacked anything he could in the Japanese town of Taiji, where an annual dolphin hunt takes place, and he hit Iraq's Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the Department of Agriculture in Thailand, China's security ministry, and a few zoos. But SeaWorld is where he spent a lot of time trying to cause as much damage as he could continued to DDoS SeaWorld over and over. I remember seeing them post about it and they'd say like we're bringing in like incident responders to like deal with this. It'd be back the website would back up you can book your staff and all this. And right, so I saw them post and say, Yeah, like you can't book your staff and we're really sorry. Um and even at that time I had no idea it's illegal. Even when I saw them apologizing to customers about not being able to book their like visits to SeaWorld and such. Well that had to have a feeling of like it was you were winning as a as an activist hacker, a hacktivist. Yeah, it was it was more yeah, it was an overpowering feeling of winning rather than 
any like that's that's what overpowered like the feeling of like nervousness. Now, typically, when he would take down a website, he would only take it down for like a half an hour or a couple hours. Um, it was like SeaWorld, and then it became like I remember it like distinctly like a, a Dutch zoo. And I did like SeaWorld, and then I fell asleep. Um, and that was that, and it was never heard of again. And I was like, Jesus, like SeaWorld and this zoo have been down like, for a very long time. Yeah, he accidentally forgot to turn the attack off. He fell asleep and left it running all night. This was a mistake. He didn't mean for it to run that long. This must have caused a big panic at SeaWorld and the Dutch Zoo to have their site down for so long. And the stressors kept running for weeks until Cam finally noticed and turned it off. But this wouldn't be the last mistake that Cam made. After the break, we'll hear what happened with the Cornwall police. Now, Cam lived in the area of Cornwall in England at the time, which is quite a big county. But it shares a police department with Devon, the neighboring county. It's one police department, but looks after multiple areas. And 14-year-old Cam was not happy with the police in Cornwall. Um, we'd hang around in like a park. And they'd be like, well, you're too old to hang around in the park because you're 14. You need to go somewhere else. So we'd go somewhere else. Oh, you can't stand outside this shop because people want to walk in the shop. Okay, we'll go to the field then. You can't stand in this field because there's the houses nearby. So they're basically like moving us. I felt like I felt like at the time they were just moving us on from everywhere. Um, it was definitely for good reason looking at it, uh, but at the time I just felt sli- like slightly oppressed, and then I protest against it. Cam felt like he was being oppressed by the police. The police chased him out of the children's park or the parking lot for just being too noisy, and he felt frustrated by this. Combine this with his godlike powers that he felt like he had online. I mean, there's 27,000 people on Twitter cheering him on for some of the attacks he's doing. This has got to fuel a kid to go bigger. So he decided to take down the Devon and Cornwall Police Department's website. I pinned it, right? Grabbed their IP. Um, lost it. I de-lost it, sorry, with like a NTP attack. At this point, he's been doing denial-of-service attacks for seven or eight months. He's learned a lot, and he's graduated to more advanced techniques. For this one, he had his own dedicated server, doing an NTP amplification attack. NTP is a network time protocol. It's how computers can check the time. And there are thousands of computers in the world who act like public timekeepers. You can ask any of them, hey, what time is it? And they'll tell you. But it can also be used as a weapon. Suppose instead of asking what time it is, you ask um, for the time in every time zone in the world. You send one small request and you get back a huge chunk of data. Now take that concept, but spoof your IP. So with that, you can ask the NTP server, hey, what time is it for every time zone in the world? And by the way, when you respond, please tell this IP over here instead of me. And now the NTP server is sending a ton of traffic to your target victim. If you do this over and over again against thousands of NTP servers around the world, your victim gets overwhelmed with all these NTP servers telling them what time it is. Cam had built this system up himself so he could conduct these types of attacks. And he launched it against the police department in his own town. But he was hesitant on this and only hit it for a little bit. No, no, I stopped it for like, I did it for like five minutes and then it like, it just stayed down for like 35 minutes. 
even though he stopped his attack, the website stayed down. It wasn't coming back up. Something weird was going on. And then, then there was like a bit of hesitation. I was like, oh damn. <laughs> what likely happened was that somebody within the IT team at the police station just null routed this incoming traffic, essentially taking down their own website temporarily, just so that the rest of the network wouldn't be impacted. Um, but it wasn't like, I, like I'd done something illegal. That was more like, I'm gonna have to pay to fix that. <laughs> Cause like, like I say, I, I stopped the attack. So I, like before, every time they'd come back up um, after I stopped the attack, but <laughs> yeah, I stopped it and then it just didn't come back. So then I thought, oh my God, if they catch me, I'm gonna have to pay to fix the hardware. But whatever, Cam had to go to school or go on to do other things, so he just left this alone. He tried to stay low for a little bit, a few days go by, all seems okay, and then one day he's walking to school in the morning, and a few people start following him on the way to school. So they're walking behind me, um, in suits, and they just, they just, they just go, like, Cameron, and I'm like, turn around, and I'm like, what does he want? I was just going, yeah. Cam turns back around, keeps walking towards school, and away from these guys. So he said my name again, and I'm like, oh, like, who's this guy? And he's like, you're under arrest. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And I was like, what? what, what? And then there's two more men in suits behind him. And I, like, I'm thinking this is the far FBI. Like, I have no idea who they are, because they're not police. They're not in police uniform. Um, and then they're like, yeah, don't try and run. <laughs> I turned around, and there's like a net of police officers across the grass. Um, like a good 10 of them with like tasers, like vests. And one of the police officers um, was about seven and a half feet tall. And I was like, oh my God. Like, I felt like I was like so close to it. Like it went from my high horse to like being so small. You know what I mean? It just, my whole feeling just rushed. The police and men in suits surrounded him and arrested him. So I got in the car, drove back to my house. Um, my mum's, I remember this, this is just like really like imprinted in my mind. And I knocked on the gate, cause my mum was like, she like locked the gate cause the, the latch wouldn't stay on. I've knocked on the gate. Um, and I was like, who is it? I'm like, it's me, I've been arrested. <laughs> um, it's just like, oh, shut up or something like that. And I'm like, no, no, I've actually been arrested. And then she's like, like, and then she just opened the gate. Um, and there's me with like, like I say, about the Trojan horse of police officers around me. And then the guy comes up to it, like, opens this warrant in my mum's face. And he's like, you've got a warrant. Um, and just walks in. And then, yeah. The police searched his home, started seizing all his electronics and asking him questions and filling out paperwork. They took everything electrical in the house. They, honestly, they raided it. They took like empty CD drives. They like they took rewritable CDs, rewritable DVDs, USB sticks, anything that had a USB connection. They they took everything out of my room, apart from the TV. And then they're like, "Is that a PSP?" And I was just literally like, "Oh, please don't!" <laughs> like, there's nothing on here. And then the lady was like, "All right, let me have a quick look now. Um, if I don't find anything, then you can keep it." They let him keep his PlayStation, and while they were looking through his video games, something strange happened. And then it like ended up being me playing COD against the arresting detective. You playing what? Yeah, Call of Duty against the arresting detective. Well, how how did that happen? 
He asked me if I wanted to play cod. Who? <laughs> what cop comes into your house and says you're under? You have, <laughs> you have a warrant for your arrest. You're under arrest. You're coming with us. Do you want to play video games with me? Like that doesn't happen. I, I, good cop, bad cop. Does that? That's what Asmi does that. Um, and they were they were very good at it, and it kind of baffled me. Um, so I was 14. I didn't understand what this good cop, bad cop routine was, but I kind of I sucked the whole thing up, and that was part of their routine. I'm pretty sure. His mom was in shock from all of this. His dog was freaking out. More officers showed up and began doing forensics on his computer and network, plugging devices into his computer, plugging Ethernet cables into his router, asking for his passwords to all his stuff. And they took all his stuff. And they put him in the police car and took him to the very station that he waged a denial of service attack on. They took most of his things, gave him some Crocs to wear instead of his shoes, and held him at the police station all day. I was just in there all day. I was in there from like 8 a.m. to like 8 p.m. Um, I, I, like I got put in custody. They gave me like a glass of water, but it was the smallest glass of water you've ever seen. It was like a shot glass. Um, and it was like the styrofoam. Like the next like seven hours. That was like my whole drink for seven hours. At this point, he was starting to regret what he did. Well, I, I regret I regret all of this straight away. Like it was, it was horrible because basically... My mum was in like absolute tears, and I just felt awful. Like that was like that's like the worst thing. Like she was just crying the whole day. I was like, I'm so sorry, mum. Like I kept saying, like, I'm so sorry, mum. And like, you just she didn't know how to like handle herself. And I was like, like she was just totally like in shock. And like that. Um, and there's, there's nothing I can do. Obviously, there's nothing she can do. We both just I think we both just felt like completely powerless, and then that was just like the worst part of it all. He got out on bail that night and went back home. And a few months later, he had to go to court to see what his punishment was. Yeah, I had a trial. So I, got, I had a trial. Um, and it was honestly, I think it was genuinely, to this day, I think it was an unfair trial. Um, so I admitted to the DDoS attacks. Um, the other thing I was accused of in the trial was the, there, were, there were bomb threats made against um, Delta Airlines, American Airlines, the White House and the FBI. Um, it was a very, very, very complex court case. They charged me for this right before I went to court. He tells me he had nothing to do with these bomb threats, so he had to plead not guilty to the case, which made the case go on longer. His lawyer didn't know that much about cybersecurity, but was trying real hard to study up on it. Because the more the lawyer could know about computers, the more he might be able to convince a judge that he didn't do the bomb threats. Cam was pleading guilty to the denial of service attacks against the police station, but kept saying he didn't do the bomb threats. The evidence they had on him? Well, his Twitter account tweeted at Delta and American Airlines saying, there's a nice tick-tock in one of those lovely Boeing planes. Hurry, gentlemen, the clock is ticking. High quality, end quote. Cam denied sending that tweet. He even denied that it was his Twitter account. He tried to explain to his lawyer the technical details of how all this got erroneously linked to him, but his lawyer wasn't tech-savvy enough to know how to disprove all this. Um, they, they, they charged me as guilty for everything. They charged me as guilty for literally everything that was... They charged like, you guilty for the bomb threats, too? Yeah, yeah, I got charged for bomb threats as well. Um, but luckily, since the FBI classed it as not a risk and more of like a hoax... It was under like civil like disruptions rather than like a terrorist thing. So I was so lucky in that department. Um, but it could have been, it could end up a lot worse. 
now that he's been found guilty for sending in bomb threats to the White House, U.S. authorities wanted to get involved. Um, so they, yeah, the Secret Service and the FBI, I believe they put in two requests to get me extra um, and then it was the it was the court said no, um, basically don't be ridiculous. He's fourteen years old, and then I went to the, I got up to the high court, and then the high court said no. And then I, I, I believe in the UK and the, the law is like you ask the high court and they say no, that's final. Um, so then it just stopped there. But it was if I, if I was older, I would have been extradited. I'm I'm sure of it. And eventually, the UK judge gave Cam his sentence. Um, they gave me 120 hours community service. Um, so I spent about seven months every Saturday morning. Because I had school as well, so I couldn't ditch out of school. But I had spent every Saturday morning for seven or eight months doing charity shop work, um, like doing like assistant work at the charity shop. But I got on, on the brighter note, like I did all that. Um, I got five years of intense intensive surveillance um, from the NCA. Cam was not sentenced to any jail time. His probation allowed him to use computers. But like he said, UK's National Crime Agency would monitor his online behavior. I'm not exactly sure how they do it, but that was part of his punishment. Now, this whole incident scared Cam after that. And because the NCA was watching him, he just decided to not use computers at all after that, except for school. He had a probation officer who would check on him to make sure he wasn't getting in any more trouble. His probation officer saw that Cam was doing well on probation and knew Cam was good at computers. So the probation officer suggested that Cam go to this computer networking event in Bristol. The police told me to go to it. And I said it was school. So I was like, well, everyone's saying it, I'm going to go to it. But it wasn't just his local police telling him to go. The NCA, which is UK's national crime agency, actually phoned up Cam and invited him to the event, which was about three hours away. He's quite, I can't remember how many companies there. Probably about 30 companies there at this um, museum uh, in Bristol. Um, they all came together and they were like, yeah, yeah, we'll take you on. You do this and do that. And like a career roadmap and all that sort of stuff. And we did like a capture the flag. But I had no idea how to capture the flag. Obviously, I was just a script kiddie. <laughs> the whole time I was a script kiddie. Capture the flag is a legal hacking challenge. A digital flag is hidden in the computer and companies want to see if you can find where it is by hacking into that computer. Because if you can do it, it kind of proves to companies that you know your stuff. But beyond that, what Cam saw there was that all these companies were looking to hire IT people. And not just that, some were looking to hire teenagers. But not just that, some had made a deal with the NCA to have reformed hackers do an apprenticeship with their company. And Cam fit this. Being 18 years old at the time and a reformed hacker, he picked up some information for a company that he could do an apprenticeship with. So he became interested in taking on this apprenticeship for this IT company. Um, so essentially they were working with the NCA in partnership um, to launch like, this cyber skills um, apprenticeship program. Um, and that's also in conglomeration with something called Hack, uh, which is like a program they set up to bring young hackers towards security and new and stuff like that. Um, it wasn't like a major bug bounty scheme, but it was like paying them a few hundred pounds to find bug bounties. And it was easier to score bug bounties rather than bug crowd and such like that. Um, but I didn't go into the apprentices. Uh, they gave me apprenticeship in like networking, security, um, and then like monitoring like on the sim. Cam got this apprenticeship with this company and they wanted him to look after their sim. 
A SIM stands for Security Information and Event Manager. Basically, this company had a lot of logs and alerts coming into this application, and it was Cam's job to watch it and tell someone if something serious showed up on the screen. It's a great experience for someone just starting out in security since you get to see a lot of alerts and get familiar with each of them. But I want to pause here and just kind of underline something. I think it's incredible that the UK tried to reform a teenage hacker. To my knowledge, this kind of stuff just doesn't happen in the US. As a teenager, if you get arrested for hacking, chances are you're not going to be able to use a computer again for years. And it's almost like the system is trying to steer you away from using computers ever again. But in the UK, it's like they recognize that some of these teenage hackers have some real talent and just need some guidance to use it for good. Cam liked this job he was doing, and he was doing well there. It was good. I actually, um, so we did, we did like citizen monitoring, um, firewall management. We did actually quite a lot, and it's very broad. Um, but I actually ended up leaving the apprenticeship. I left the apprenticeship about 10 months in, out, out of the one year. Um, and that was due to a job offer I got uh, here in Gloucester, which is a different city to where I was before. So the next job he tried to get was for a company called CSA. So uh, my name's Sean Tickle. I'm the SOC manager at CSA, which is Cybersecurity Associates. Um, we're based in the UK primarily. We do a lot of managed services, a lot of red team, blue team type stuff, you know, protecting clients. Sean is Cam's new boss. I can give you, do you want me to give you the breakdown of like how we kind of onboarded him in the first place? Because it all kind of came up in his interview. Yeah. Um, so basically, like we, we were doing a recruitment drive for some analysts and Cam kind of just came through um, one of our recruiters who we knew. And the, like the first thing that hit us about him was his, like his passion for the industry. Like everything he spoke about was just with such, with such passion about like the latest technologies, the latest processes, some of the stuff that like in the industry that we always face, like, you know, user error, like senior C-level executives just not getting security, like that sort of stuff, the sort of stuff that's kind of part and parcel of the industry. So it's really cool to talk to him about that. Then we always ask this one question, which is, is there anything that may stop you from possibly being eligible for security clearance? And obviously with Cam's past, he, he spoke about it. We weren't aware of it at that time, but like we, we went through it all. And basically when he was around 14 years old, he um, was responsible. He was responsible for quite a few things, but it's primarily it was the SeaWorld DDoS. The way he explains it, it's, it's actually quite funny. Like the kids always get a laugh out of it in that he, um, <laughs> He ran the command to DDoS them. He did it from, and this is kind of what got me with Cam. Like, he wasn't just some kind of black hat looking to extort them or looking to just wreck them for no reason. Obviously, it was kind of a hacktivist thing for him um, because he didn't believe in, obviously, SeaWorld's practices and all that, all that you know, um, kind of horrible stuff they were doing um, around that time and kind of still doing. Um, and he DDoSed them and he took their website offline and all the rest of it. But what he forgot to do was he fell asleep and he woke up to a blank terminal think that the attack had stopped and it hadn't. Um, went on for about four weeks, I believe he said. 
until we realised what was going on and it cost them about 1.5 million or 1.3 or whatever. Um, not just in like lost fees, obviously you've got to call in specialists and in active response and instant response and stuff like that. So um, they took the hit there. But then there was, he said, like that's when it started going wrong from him from a power hungry point of view. Like um, he had a minor disagreement with a police officer once because they were in a park. So he decided to DDoS their entire website and take it offline. And, and I think that's when he started realizing he was going wrong. And this is all the stuff that he said. Like he said, like I, looking back at it now, he, he started making those errors and he really shouldn't have because they they didn't do anything to him and obviously it's the police like people do need to get in touch with them and that sort of stuff so and then this is all <laughs> this all came out in one interview so it's yeah, quite, this is quite what, full on this is interesting you know? because you know i've been in a couple interviews and if you were to ask me like what's a mistake you've made in the past or what's the what you know <laughs> what's a problem yeah. that we should know about and he starts telling you about how he's been arrested and he did this attack and this cyber attack and all this stuff like what are you thinking when you're listening to him say this like okay nope or like what what's no your i actually i mean maybe i'm i'm one of the i find it really interesting because for a lad of 14 to be able to do this sort of stuff was like in, insane you know and he and he said and and what got me if he said to me like oh yeah i just did it for for a laugh or something like that i would have been like okay well he's just he's obviously not passionate he's, he's just doing it for you know kudos or whatever but because he did it obviously from like a hacktivist point of view i actually started getting interested in it and then it was kind of the genuine kind of i really shouldn't have done this but yeah but like initially for probably about the first five minutes i was probably like oh my god who've we who've we got in on this call because the recruiter didn't know anything about it anyway you know and he we blitz through the technical because I was. We do like a pretty rugged, like two-round interview process. The first round, which he was in, is like super technical on like a whole array of stuff, and he blitzed every single thing. Like he did amazing, and we were like, "Oh my god, this this is it!" Like we definitely need to get this guy in, especially because Cameron's nineteen. You know, for him to go through all this over this period of time, he'd have to have been pretty young to do it. Obviously, it came out he was like fourteen. Um. But yeah, like after that, and I think talking to him and saying to him, like, well, you know, why did you do it? What did you think about it? Like, do you regret it? And all the rest of the stuff that you kind of goes through your head at that point. He showed like genuine remorse for it and that he shouldn't have done it. Like he had kind of the right way of going about it in terms of what SeaWorld were doing, but he had very much the wrong methods, you know, and, and that's what hit us with that. Yeah. So, did, I mean, it, was this the first hacker you've hired? Oh yeah, yeah, for me. Um, but that's that mainly comes from the company I'm with now, because a couple of the companies I was with before they had it, they didn't have this mentality, you know. The, and I and I think that goes for a lot of companies. Like people don't give these sorts of hackers another chance. Like like Cameron was very lucky just to get his apprenticeship, and and to then continue into the industry. Um, also, I, I wouldn't say it was lucky you know, for him to come to us because I think we were lucky to get him really because of just the sheer amount of passion he's got and just the, the technical skill. This guy's going to, he's going to do well in the industry. Like I already knew that, but I, I was quite concerned that I had to kind of, I had to, I had to put this guy forward to my directors, you know, and it was pretty cool. Like at the end of the day, I, I joined CSA because of all the stuff that they do around cybersecurity as well. Cause I got sick of, 
have constantly been so guarded with other companies and communities and that sort of stuff. Like they, the old companies I was with, they really garnered that sort of don't tell anyone anything, like always look up for yourself type thing. And and Jamie and Dave, the directors of CSA, that the the opposite of that. They want to be involved, you know. So, but I was still like, okay, well, I'm actually going to try and hire an ex-hacker here. I don't know how cool they're going to be about this, you yeah. know. But I, I, I went to them and I said, like, listen, this guy's legit. Like, he knows his stuff. Listen to his story and all the rest of it, and and I'm sure you'll agree. <laughs> and they did. They like we had a quick chat with them all, and he, he kind of reiterated his story to them, and they were the first to jump on board with it. They actively encouraged it because they wanted to. Not not only from a like oh yeah it'll it'll help us because of his technical expertise they wanted to kind of give him that second chance and really get him in you know I'm just kind of flabbergasted by this I mean I once was in an interview and I asked if they validated parking and I kind of lost sleep over this wondering if they just thought I was some poor soul or something and here's Cam not only saying he knocked out SeaWorld but caused a million dollars in damages. And he did it because he was passionate about animal welfare and he hacked the police and also went to jail for this. Well, somehow, despite all of that, it went great. Cam got the job at CSA. And it might be because of how much CSA likes helping the community. Like, for instance... They created this entire cool cyber zone area, like this entire office, just for kids. Well, not kids, you know, like for students. And they did it all off their own dime. Like they invested like 20 grand into this, this, well, 20 grand just for the architecture bit, let alone all the equipment and all the rest of it. Who invested in this? Uh, CSA did. Like they did it for the NCSC. Like the NCSC came to them and said, like, we'd really love you to do something like this. Okay. So the NCSE is the National Cybersecurity Center, which is a UK government organization simply there to help educate people on cybersecurity. Cyber attack is now a critical threat to our national security. The government has responded to this threat by doubling investment in cybersecurity, creating a world-class national cybersecurity centre, leading the UK's defence against cyber attack. Together, we will make the UK the safest place to live and work in cyberspace. Jeez, that's an ambitious mission. And I think it's incredible that the UK government is driving this. But yeah, the NCSE partnered with CSA to help hold classes and teach students and teenagers more about cybersecurity. So this makes CSA a pretty progressive company. And once Cam got a job at CSA, he told them about another hacker he knows. He accidentally did credit card fraud. Both Cam and this guy Jack worked together in their last job, and they were both there as an apprenticeship set up by the NCA. And so Jack applied to work at CSA too. Yeah, he he went down a very similar route. They were both on the same apprenticeship, and this is how we found out about Jack because we were still continuing our recruitment drive. Um, and and obviously Cameron knew him by association, and was we were like, oh yeah, of course, yeah, like we've hired one hacker. What's what's two? You know, uh, basically he stole like seven thousand credit card details and and databases that are like around the world. And I've always spoken to him about it because I find it fascinating because he is very blasé about the whole situation. Like he talks about it in like a very matter of fact way. And it's really strange to hear like all of that. But like he he said, like, I just I did it because I could and I did it because they had bad 
security and I'd tell them about the security and that sort of stuff and then I'd just go out. So it's very grey hatish. He never he was very explicit, like he never used the credit cards. Like he never touched them, he never did anything with them. He just saw them as like this he just took them, you know. Um obviously he got caught as well. He got caught by like the like they had all this data on him and they couldn't catch him. And then it turned out he used his card to pay for some uh, virtual private server somewhere and they just kind of backtraced it from that eventually. Like he did it once and and that's how they got him, which was, you know, fair play to the NCA and the the regional cybercrime unit for that. I tried to get Jack on the show, but he was just a little too hard for me to wrangle in. <laughs> he definitely is. He's got He's got burner phones and alternate email addresses and like I'm I'm his manager and even I struggle to get in touch with him sometimes. But during the interview, Sean asked Jack the same question as Cam. Uh, the question is like we always ask it at the end, and it's is there anything that would stop you from possibly being eligible for security clearance? <laughs> and obviously he hit us with this knowledge of yeah I stole seven thousand credit card details. Um, he, and like, he wasn't officially charged, thank God, because it turns out like Cam, Cam was charged obviously and, and had about five years of hell. Um, but Jack luckily didn't get charged because he was saying that every single one of those charges carried two years in prison and there's no limit. So at one point the lawyer, the, the, the prosecutor said to him, like, you're facing 14,000 years in prison. And he just laughed at that point, which is pretty pretty ballsy really in that situation um but yeah not like again he was telling us that story and i was sat with the same guy who was in cam's interview and we were like oh my god like where are we finding these people but like he you have to take a chance like don't get me wrong like if he came to me and he was like yeah i used them to go on the dark web or i used them to finance something i'd be like no straight away because obviously he's in it for criminal gain Jack and Cameron, they weren't. They did it because they could, ultimately, and they were probably a little bit misguided, you know. And, and that's why I think the the kind of the stuff we were doing with the students is so important, because you would like another one of those, like one of the students. Luckily, we, unluckily, sorry, we didn't get to him in time, but he ended up DDoSing his school, and you know they went down the police route, and he was he was 13 years old, and you just think like. It's just, it's just not worth it, really. So this was a potential just... student that was going to come take classes for the NCSC at yeah. your place, but didn't come actually come to take your guidance. No, unfortunately, unfortunately not, because he he couldn't he couldn't obviously because it happened be, it happened before he was coming in, and we they only take certain year groups. Like we take whatever year group we, they want to give us, but like they can only take certain ones and they were telling us about it and they just said it was really unfortunate because he had such just he had such a knowledge base and and that sort of stuff he just didn't know what to do with it and he was just online all the time and there's no ethics there you know like there's no there's no so, someone to tell you it's right or wrong when you're reading tutorials or that sort of thing and that's where it was so important for us and it was you know it was unlucky really that he, he didn't get that chance to talk to us um but yeah but that's it literally like you couldn't hit the nail on the head any harder that that's the sort of stuff that we need to protect against in future generations we need to get them on our side before they turn to black hat you know wow the uk is just so forward thinking on this by being proactive and trying to get young teenagers some guidance before they do something wrong it's just so much more effective 
And it doesn't just stop there. In 2017, the NCA launched a boot camp to reform teenage hackers. So when a teenager gets in trouble for hacking in the UK, they might get to go to this boot camp, which is not there to scare them straight and to never use a computer again, but instead it teaches them that their passions and skills are really in demand right now, and you can have just as much fun doing it, but getting paid for it and being legal at the same time. Here's an interview I found of some of these black hat teenagers who went through it. Uh, I've learned what I could do, what courses I could take, how I can proceed about going around cybersecurity, what professions. Now I know that it exists, it sounds like something that I'd really, really like to go into because you get the same like rush, you get the same excitement, but you're doing it to, like, for fun still, but it's legal and you get paid. I found out my true passion was actually stopping those attacks from happening. That's how I now get my enjoyment. I stop them before they even happen. Incredible, right? Once again, nothing like this is in the US. Teenagers who get in trouble for hacking get kicked out of school, banned from using computers, and have an extraordinarily hard time finding a computer job later. But the UK is trying something different here, leaning into the problem, understanding that these kids really do have a passion and a skill that's helpful and it's just a matter of rehabilitating them to become more productive with these skills instead of destructive, or counseling them to be inspired and use these skills for good. But I should mention that some of these programs are still experimental in England. I'm not sure if this boot camp was just a pilot program and stopped, or if it's still going on. There's not a lot of information about it. These programs keep changing to try to figure out what the best way is of tackling these problems. Oh, and I should say that apprenticeship program that Cam got into, which got him his first job, it's not just for teenage criminal hackers. It can be used by non-criminals who want to get started in InfoSec, too. And at CSA, through their Cyber First program, where they teach students about the dangers of cybersecurity, they now have Cam get up and tell his story in front of these young teens. Is Cam a role model or or a cautionary He's tale? one he is it's, it's, it's that lovely mix of both isn't it you know like we try and hit him with like he answers like five questions and it's always like why did who am i why did i do it what were the implications you know what did i learn from it you know and that sort of stuff and it like it starts off and you can see that the the students like they know it's serious when he starts talking about all the stuff he's done because that's what we hit him with hard first and then they talk about like the fbi coming after him the secret service wanting to extradite him you know like all of this stuff all, all of the all the money costs people and it's not just like it's it, sorry it's not just companies it's like people's livelihoods you know like if they lose that amount of money they have to lay people off or people you know like it happens it seems like Cam has learned his lesson from all this and doesn't want to get in trouble again. So if we do it a second time, a second strike, I'm gone. That's it. I'm, I'm never going to get back into the industry. Um, obviously now as well, I can see like the damage it causes. Um, so like SeaWorld, people have lost jobs. It costed SeaWorld like one and a half million dollars um, as a result of my tax. So that would, that would cost people jobs and that, that means that they can affect their families and such and like it just the butterfly effect goes on that kind of like is the other reason as well it's just <laughs> what i didn't see so it seems like this system works huh spend a little time and money on some of these troubled teens and presto changeo they become not only a productive person but also an inspirational role model I feel kind of bad because, so essentially I'm 19 now 
Um, and I'm obviously a, I'm a senior soccer analyst, so like skip past uni because um, I wasn't being arrested. So people that have gone to uni are kind of going to feel that I've cheated it and I've gone up because of where I've come from, uh, which is technically not a good thing. So it's kind of, it's kind of like waving to people that um, do you know what I mean? Um, because of the apprenticeship, the apprenticeship's like giving people like this amazing opportunity for free when we're done something bad. I've never seen anyone harbour any resentment against it. Like, the team love the guys. Like, we all get on well anyway. We all do it, like, the the company we're with encourages loads of social events and, like, that they pay for and, and that sort of stuff. So we all go go-karting and go out for, a, you know, a drink and all the rest of it. And so the team's really melded together anyway. And I've never seen any resentment. It, I think they, they appreciate it more because Jack and Cameron always give back to them. They always try and impart their knowledge. They always show them, like, the bigger picture when it comes to alert investigations or how to do something or some kind of technical aspect that they're not quite getting their head around. And I think that makes them, like, really appreciate the fact that those guys are there in the first place. Wow. That's one way to diversify a team, right? Security is a game of cat and mouse. You have to know what the enemy knows and think like them so you can be a step ahead of them. And who better to turn to than someone who's actually done that stuff? So yeah, I think this kind of team will work out in the long run. And now that I think of it, I've seen many criminals in the US actually get hired by US authorities to help track and catch criminals. Like there's art forgers and scammers and counterfeiters and yeah, hackers who felt remorse for what they've done and now work with the police to help catch criminals. Huh, I like it. In this tech-focused world, I think it's important to embrace it and not ban it. It's important to spend time and money educating teenagers on cybersecurity and especially focus on the teens who use it as a weapon. Those are some of the really clever kids who have a real passion for technology and other things. They don't always aim to do bad. They just got wrapped up in the frenzy of it all. And I'm sure all of us as teenagers have been in the battlefield of good versus evil. And it's not easy to be a teen. Everyone has two sides, good and evil. And it's how you treat that person will determine what you see. A big thank you to our guests this episode, Cam and Sean, who both work at CSA. This show is made by me, the Royal Key Presser, Jack Recider, Production assistance by Jeanette Beebe. Sound design was done by His Grace, Duke Andrew Merriweather. Editing help this episode by Her Highness, Damien. And our theme music is by the Earl of Melody, Breakmaster Cylinder. And even though the F3 key on my keyboard hasn't done a single thing for 20 years, this is Darknet Diaries. <laughs>